Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, the Grace, Peace, Balance radio show with Gabby Abdelgadir. I have got an amazing guest today. She's a good friend of mine. She's a coach. She's a mentor. You're going to love her story. Laura Lane is her name. Laura Lane is an inspired, loving, spiritual growth and development expert who has touched thousands, if not more, hundreds of thousands through her powerful stories of resiliency and strength. Laura Lane is an expert on finding peace and divine perspective, especially during the most difficult life circumstances. She shares the inspired wisdom she has gained after losing her mother and sister in a car accident, then losing her own daughter to cancer. She inspires audiences how to rise above life's struggles and face each day with hope, strength, and courage. Laura Lane's first nonfiction book, Two Mothers, One Prayer, was co-authored with another mother to help parents of children with cancer. Laura is a published children's book author. She is a poet, artist, speaker, coach, and gallery owner. Laura, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you very much. Okay, so today's, um, we're going to talk about your book today, Two Mothers, One Prayer. I was just watching your audio, your intro audio about this book on YouTube, and I was just so emotional, and I really want people to know more about this. Tell us more about what, hap- what is the story behind this book. So... The full title is Two Mothers, One Prayer, with a subtitle, Facing Your Child's Cancer with Hope, Strength, and Courage. And I was inspired to write this book when my own daughter, Celeste, was diagnosed with cancer back in 2011. She was 12 years old, and she was diagnosed with a really rare form of brain cancer, uh, a brain tumor. Um, Uh it's, It's called penioblastoma. The chances of getting penioblastoma is one in seven million. That's how rare it is. And so we had begun this journey, and and this just just being launched into the whole world of childhood cancer was so uh, incredibly eye-opening, heart-wrenching. It was a huge struggle, and um, we felt very lone and isolated um, going through this because there really aren't that many families, um, especially here in Canada. There's only 2,000 kids every year who are diagnosed with cancer, um, and so last being one in seven million getting penioblastoma, we didn't know really where to turn to, and a few months later, I happened to discover online that there was another 12-year-old girl who was diagnosed the very same month as Celeste, and her name is Haley. And Haley has penioblastoma as well. And when I worked out the odds of that happening, it was 23.5 billion to one. Oh, my goodness. And how is she in Canada as well? No. Was she in Canada? and her family are from New Jersey. Um, Okay. And we just happened to find each other. It was a real coincidence. When Celeste was first diagnosed, I didn't want to go online and find out. I didn't want to hear horror stories. I just I felt like, no, I don't want to go online and, and see what it says out there. And a couple of months later, I started to get this sort of nudge um, that I needed to go online anyways and check. 
Mm-hmm. And so I did, a little reluctantly. I'm like, okay, I'll just look to see what, the, what it says about her diagnosis and see what I can find. And there happened to be another mom who posted, who created a page specifically for children with this diagnosis, and it was called Pimeo Kids. And she mm-hmm. happened, her own son had been diagnosed when he was just two years old. And oh my she goodness. kept a compilation of uh, all the kids the few that there are that have ever been diagnosed with penioblastoma in the last 20, 30 years. And oh she wrote, she just listed them all out, and here's a 16-year-old boy, and he was diagnosed in 86, and here's a two-month-old, and here's a three-year-old girl, and, and, and I'm going through this list, and here I see another 12-year-old girl diagnosed February 2011. I'm like, Celeste was diagnosed February 2011, and she's 12. I'm like, that's too much of a coincidence. Coincidence, yeah. The fact yeah. that there was another family going through this at the exact same time of us was just incredible. So I contacted them. I tracked Uh them down, found that they had a care pages account and and found them and sent them an email and said, "Um, my daughter has the same diagnosis as your daughter. I'm going through this at the same time. And and that's when I was first introduced with Lori. uh, The mom. And we went from being complete strangers to best friends. Here was someone who knew exactly what we were going through to have another 12-year-old girl. Um, just have the same worries. They were on the same protocol. Um, Haley was, um, her schedule was um, one month ahead of us. So she started her her radiation in April and Celeste started hers in May. She started her, her chemo in June and Celeste started hers in July. But other than that, they were on the exact same um, protocol, everything. And that's when I got this inspiration that this was too much of a coincidence about these girls and that I needed to write a book about these incredible, incredible little girls and their faith and their strength and their resiliency and, um, and tell the world about about these girls. And so this is what Two Mothers is about. Two Mothers, One Prayer. Two moms who are still praying for the same things. And... Uh, because prayer was so important in their lives and so important in our lives. And to have that um, faith together was also uh, a real blessing. And yeah, so it was. Book, and I share the story of Celeste I story, mm-hmm. and, and her diagnosis. Um, Lori shares the story of Haley's uh, diagnosis. And then I share all the emails that went back and forth between Lori and I. So you see the development of our relationship from being complete strangers to best friends and, and what we shared with each other about what the girls were going through during their chemo treatments and, and how we mm-hmm. loved and supported each other. And, and then I finish up the book. The third section is all the things that we learned that would help other parents going through the same thing. I know and that's I the best thing you did because, uh, see, thank goodness for online because that is how you found out otherwise you would have never met you would have never known her it's like an instinct that you used and you followed your gut feeling and went into checking it and then you and i met at the bob proctor matrix back in 2012 i remember right yeah yeah and then after that yeah uh, go ahead had done her treatments and she had been doing really well that year in 2012 and um, yes, I had started writing the book, and um, yeah, that's when you and I met, and um, 
it was uh, 2012 was a busy and a good year for us. Um, and yeah, my goal was to I have know. the book finished by the end of 2012. Yeah, and then uh, there was the story about Celeste wanting to meet or to speak to Celine so, Dion, the so Canadian what, singer. Well, what happened with Celeste is 2012 was, was, was a good year for her. She graduated grade 8. She uh, was able to go to camp and um, her school trip and, and do all these exciting things and have more of a normal life again. But then she started to, her health started to decline again, and we found that she had more spots on her MRI. Um, and the doctors didn't give us any other options, and so it was just a point of, okay, let's see what we can do. And then all of a sudden things sped up. Um, and we were told that she literally only had days or weeks left to live, that mm-hmm. her tumors had returned in full force. And before that moment, when when I when I was when I found out that these these spots that are that, that were spots on the MRI and they weren't offering treatments, I went into a, a point of so much fear and. Like, no, this couldn't happen, and we worked so hard, and we prayed for miracles, and no, this couldn't possibly happen. Mm -hmm. And that's when I learned a beautiful gift of surrendering, that I would knew that I would do anything in the whole world for my daughter, anything. And I'm yeah. having this frantic conversation with God and saying, no, you can't, ha- no, I'm like, what else do I need to do? I'm obviously not doing enough. And then that's when I came to the realization that as much as I was willing to do anything, it wasn't actually my fight, that this yeah. was my daughter's, and yeah. that this was her choice, that if she mm-hmm. wanted to fight this, then we mm-hmm. would help her and do everything to, to, to help her to fight it. But if she felt like she couldn't do this anymore, then I Mm -hmm. completely surrendered and said, that is okay, too. That I was willing to do whatever was best for Celeste. Mm -hmm. And when I had that moment of surrendering, that's when the peace started to come back into my life again. Mm -hmm. That no matter what happened, Mm -hmm. that we would be okay. That if... If she felt like she couldn't do this anymore, then we would simply make every day that she had left wonderful, whether that was three months or three years or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I turned to Celeste and I gave this to her and said, Celeste, this is what the doctor said. If you want to fight this, we'll help you fight this. But if you feel like you can't do this anymore, sweetie, that's okay. Mm-hmm. She said, no, Mommy, I want to fight it. And so... That's where we put all of our focus and our prayers, and and, uh, we were going to see if we could find other treatments. But then things sped up much faster than we thought they would. And all of a sudden she had the headaches come back, and and the fluid was building up in in her brain, um, causing double vision. And and then that's when the doctor said we need to do a new set of MRIs and, and bone scans and all of these things. And so we're sitting in the hospital, and... She's had the MRI, and they're, they're processing. They, they sent us up onto the bone scan, and Sister and I are sitting in this hospital room, and it's freezing cold. And she's laying yeah. out on the, the table that they need to scan her on, and, and we've got blankets over her, and I've got a blanket sitting around me, and they're making us wait because, of course, that's all you ever do at a hospital is wait. Yeah, yeah, I know. And 
so we're waiting. And I pulled out my book and I said, sweetie, if you could do anything in the whole world, what would you want to do? If you could go anywhere, meet anyone, do anything, what would you love to do? And she said, oh, mommy, I would love to go to Europe. I want to see Big Ben and the Eiffel Tower and the Leaning Tower of Pisa and have chocolate and have uh, Swiss chocolate. And she wanted to have uh, chocolate croissants in, in Paris. And, and she said, I want Haley to come with us and Haley's family. And so I'm writing all these things down. I said, okay, wonderful, sweetie. I said, if you could meet anyone in the whole world, who would you want to meet? She's like, oh. She said, I want to meet Robin Williams. So I wrote it oh, down. it was Robin Williams, not Celine Dion. No, listen, you'll have to, uh, there's even more. So then I said, well, okay. who else? And she said, Anne Hathaway. So I wrote that down. And she said, Celine Dion. And I wrote that down. And then she said, the cast of the Doctor Who TV show. Because we're huge uh-huh. Doctor Who fans. And okay. so I wrote that down, and I said, well, what else would you want to do? And she wanted to go rock climbing, the indoor rock climbing, and try new foods and um, make Nanaimo bars. And, and so I'm writing all these things down, and then we go back down to see the doctor. And the doctor said, he said, the tumors have spread so much <laughs> that she literally only has days or weeks left to live. And because of the fluid pressure building up on her brain, they said, Europe, there was no chance she could fly. And Mm -hmm. so we said, well, then we will just do everything we can to make every day she has left wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so I sent an email out, and I sent a message on Facebook to everybody. Yeah, that's how I remember it, yeah. This is what's happening. Celeste doesn't have much time left to live, and this is what she wants. We can't go to Europe, but she wants to meet these people. So if you know anyone who knows anyone who knows anyone who has contacts in Hollywood or in the music industry, please help us so that we can make these dreams come true. And that was on Friday, mm-hmm. Friday, January 11th. Yeah. On Wednesday, we are sitting at her dad's house, and the phone rings, and her stepmom answers the phone, and this man calls and he says, can I speak to Celeste, please? And she's like, um, who is this man calling our daughter? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> this strange man. And she's like, well, can I ask who's talk speaking? And he says, David Tennant. And where she's like, oh, my goodness, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so here's David oh. Tennant calling Celeste. So we give her the phone, and she's sitting at the dining room table. So if you can imagine, she's sitting in a chair at the kitchen table. Uh-huh. And relaxed, talking to David Tennant like she does this every day of her life. And they're talking about spaghetti bolognese and all of just these awesome things. And the rest of the family, we're all standing in the hallway on the other phone, listening in on the conversation, jumping (laughs) up and down, being like giddy little school kids, like, oh, my goodness, it's David Tennant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then the next day, Robin Williams, he Skyped with her. He was on tour at the time. Oh, my God! Somebody he got did. hold of him, and he Skyped with her from his hotel room, and they Skyped for about 15, 20, about 15 minutes. <laughs> and he said he, wanted, he considered that this is the first call. He wanted to call her as soon as he was done with his tour and going home because he mm-hmm. wanted to introduce, you, introduce her to his dog and his cat that he has and show her the view from his house in San Francisco and the view Aww. overlooking the bay. And mm. he did. He called back about a week, two weeks later, he called back and they had a second Skype call. And he did. He showed us the view and they introduced us to the dog and cats and his wife, and it was incredible. 
And then, so that was the Thursday. The Friday, Celine Dion called from Las Vegas and talked to Celeste, and she was beautiful. And Mm -hmm. she dedicated that evening's performance in Vegas to Celeste that night. Mm -hmm. And then on Saturday, Anne Hathaway called, and they talked for 45 minutes. Oh, my god! They had so much in common. They talked about their favorite books and Celeste's dress that she wore for her grade 8 grad that was a tie dress, and she told Anne all about granddad's soup parties. And Anne just thought that it was the most fabulous idea in the world. So if you ever hear of them having soup parties in Hollywood, you know where Anne Hathaway got the idea from. And then she said that she considered this an introduction, and Celeste was her new best friend. And she called her again a couple of weeks later, and they had another long, wonderful conversation, um, which really cheered Celeste up. Yeah. Um, uh, Karen Gillian, who is an actress from from England, from Scotland, and she's on the Doctor Who TV show as well, and she sent a video message to Celeste, and then a couple of weeks later, somebody finally got hold of Matt Smith. He was the actor who was the uh, 11th Doctor in the Doctor Who TV series as well, and he called and spoke to Celeste on a day when she was having a hard time, and it really brightened her day. It was wonderful. They talked for about 15 minutes. God, these people are so nice. You wouldn't think like they would actually get a message like that, and then they act on it like oh, immediately. That beautiful, is so beautiful nice people. to hear. Yeah, yeah, and it really taught me that people will go out of their way to help you when you ask. Yeah. That all you have to do is ask. Yeah, all you have to do is ask. Yeah. Um, Jim Carrey even sent Celeste a box set of DVDs. That his oh sister goodness. worked mm-hmm. um, in in uh, Niagara Falls at the radio station, and somebody got hold of her, and she spoke to Jim, and Jim sent Celeste a box set of DVDs, and she watched those, and and just brought her lots of happy moments to be able to cuddle up with her brother and sister, and 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 just watch those funny DVDs. It was great. Yeah. So most so of her wishes were fulfilled. Work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! And and uh, what year did she pass on? Was it the same year? Two thousand and thirteen. February is when she passed away. So it's just been four years now. Four years now. And yeah. uh, since you have met, like you've, you have a lot of network groups, and you help a lot of people. So. After Celeste passed away, then my whole focus became on writing my book. I had been coaching and um, teaching workshops um, prior to that, but a large part of my focus um, became finishing the book about Celeste and Haley, and I published Mm -hmm. it in 2015. Mm -hmm. And now today I... I go around to different uh, groups, a lot of women's groups that I go around and speak about my book and my story and how to face difficult life challenges with hope, strength, and courage. And I tell our story. I tell your story. Yeah, that is such one amazing story. Yeah, because there are a lot of people out there 
who go through these things and they don't know how to deal with them, you know, like um, I was just watching your video, by the way, I'm going to post it, if you don't mind. Thank you. Thank on you. my on on my podcast, I'm gonna just add the link so that people could watch it, and then I'm gonna add your book, your website, and stuff like that. You could actually tell them. So, what is one advice that you wanna give before we? Because I want you back on another episode. This is going to be part one. I want to talk about your coaching programs and your passion test and and the other stuff that you do. I wanna interview you a second interview. That but would be wonderful. Thank you. And so if there is one great advice you want to advise people who have children or family members going through the same, what would it be? So back to what we were just saying a minute ago, ask. Mm -hmm. that I give five pieces of advice in the book, and the first one is to reach out. Yeah, reach out. Be courageous and reach out and ask for the help that you need. Reach out to the people around you that when we isolate ourselves, when we go through difficult things, we isolate ourselves. We don't give other people another an opportunity to, to help us. Help. People want to help. That has been yeah. my overwhelming conviction that I, that I have learned in the last few years is people want to be there. They want to help us, but we have to reach out and tell them in what way we need help. Um, yeah. And they will step up, and it's an, it's incredible. Allow people to love you and support you and and be there for you. Um, and be there for you, it, yeah. But you have to reach out and, and be courageous enough to be vulnerable and say, I, mm-hmm. need, I need some help here. And, and the reason that we do that um, is this. Well, if we give to other people and never allow them to give back to us, then we apply judgment that we are better than them, that I I don't need help. You need help, so I'll help you. But if we can drop that judgment and say, I help you because one day I know I'm going to need help too, then that's giving from, from a much more beautiful place to be vulnerable and say, hey, you need help today. I've needed help in the past too. I know what it's like to need help, and 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 so if we can ask in that way and and give in that way, um, then it's much more fulfilling to to see to to have true charity. Uh, the word mm-hmm. charity comes from the Greek word agape, which means to see someone as God sees them. Yeah. That if we can acknowledge the and see, see, see people the way that God sees them without judgment, mm-hmm. um, then we would treat them so much better. And if we allow ourselves to be treated in that way, to say, to be vulnerable and say, this is who I am and this is help I need, then that's a... It, it would Lots make a of people would show up. Lives and the lives of other people. Yeah. Like what happened with Celeste is amazing. Like everybody that she wanted to talk to or see they've come around like in a very short period so there are a lot more good people out there than we know about Mm -hmm. so all we need is to uh, ask yes anything else you want to add because i'm going to have you again well i'm sure we'll have lots to talk about in the future but i would if people want to um, get a copy of the book they can Mm -hmm. go to our website which is twomothersoneprayer.com 
mm-hmm. and then they can click on the image of the book, and it will take them right to the Amazon page, um, and they can order a copy that way. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much. That was an amazing and inspiring um, chat that I had with you. I'm glad I had the opportunity to get hold of you. I know you're very busy. And um, I'm going to have you again as part two. And uh, everyone, you have to get a a copy of this book at uh, twomothersoneprayer.com or lauralane, L-A-U-R-A-L-A-N-E dot C-A. Um, that is her uh, website. You can get a copy there too, and I will be posting also the links to uh, to those. Thank you so much, Laura. Stay blessed, and I will have you again very soon. Thank you so much, Gabby. It's been a pleasure. Take care.